Hey guys, welcome back to VM Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you're a foodie like me, um, you love food. This gentleman is a truly amazing person as well as an amazing chef. Um, and he's been all over the Food Network, all over the world, writing world famous books. So it's going to be fun. And I think he might even drop a couple uh, cooking tips after this. But first, <laughs> I want to, first, I want to thank our sponsors. Mr. G's Food Eatery here in Lyndhurst, New Jersey. They're a, re a retired couple that they just loved making comfort food, and it became so popular that they started their own restaurant. And uh, what they do is anytime a first responder, a police officer, a veteran, or somebody in the school system shops at their store or comes for breakfast, they get 10% off every day. So they're always giving back to the community. So I just want to say thank you to Mr. G's Eatery. Guys, this is going to be front uh, Chef Simon, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, I think my kids are and my wife are more excited to talk to him than I am. So I just wanted to say, Simon, thank you so much for coming on today. It's my pleasure. It's really great to speak to you. Thank you for inviting me. And I love your accent. So obviously you're not from New Jersey. So tell us nope. a little about yourself and where you come from. No, I'm from Boise. No, I'm not, I'm not from Boise. Um, I'm originally from the UK. Uh, so I lived in the UK most of my life, quite frankly. And I never thought I'd be coming here and becoming an American citizen until about you know 12 years ago or when I met my wife and uh, on my journey writing my first book, I think. And, uh, you know, kind of fell in love and decided that as a writer, I could write anywhere. So I moved over here from the UK, which, again, never expected. Still have my, you know, great apartment in the UK, in London and all of that. Uh, my brother lives there. And so, yeah, I moved here about 12 years ago. Uh, I became uh, an American citizen in 2014. I wrote a book about it called Fed White and Blue, where I went around the country and had people invite me to come and share their food experiences as a way of me trying to find out what it was like to be an American uh, because I use food often a lot, you know, as my way of looking at the world. Uh, that, I mean, that, and that was a great experience because I ended up, you know, sitting next to Richard Petty in the pit tower watching the Daytona 500 or, you know, uh, judging kosher barbecue uh, festivals and picking uh, grapes and uh, just incredible stuff going to Alaska to hunt for salmon. So, yeah, so I moved over here about, 12 years ago when I got married. Uh, very happy to be a citizen. I, you know, I'm very capable of loving both countries very much. Uh, great countries that have a lot of, you know, links together. And, uh, and I've always been, you know, apart from very initially, obviously, been great allies. Um, and so, so I've always felt incredibly welcome here. Uh, and I just love being here. So I am a, I always have to explain this, that I'm an Anglo- Indian American now, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and now my my best friend and uh, former business partner, actually, his family is Italian and Indian, so it's kind of yeah. a mix. I think he, he his family came from Bangladesh, so I totally get yeah. that. Now I know your mom and dad played a very important role in your life. So when you were a little kid, did you, were you getting into, because I had a friend, his name is Brian Jacobs. I think he was on one of the guy's shows. Um, he just loved being around his grandpa cooking breakfast. Were you that kind of person as a kid? I mean, I was, yes. And I, uh, I mean, what was really interesting is my mother, who 
uh, neither of my parents are with us anymore. Uh, but my mother was Welsh. And but oddly, she went to India with my father at one point and ended up because, you know, women in those days in India were not, you know, sent out and not, you know, people didn't go. So she would spend all the time in the kitchen and she learned to cook the most incredible kind of Bengali food, which is where my father's from, Calcutta. Uh, and in, in those days, it was, you know, Bangladesh was part of India. And so my grandmother came from that area, too. Uh, anyway, so my mother learned how to cook amazing food, uh, Indian food, as well as Welsh food, which is kind of very baking. And you were talking about comfort earlier. That's all about baking and pies and pasties and you know, really comfort food. And so I, I and I don't even know that it was specifically certain dishes, although one or two. But I think it was just always being around food, always. You know, whenever I went out for, you know, even when I was a you know, teenager and I went out for drinks with my friends to the pub or something, which we could in England at, you know, 17 yeah. or 18, you know, not like here. Um, they all wanted to come back. Each week we'd go back to one of the parents' houses, you know, and have food and watch TV till midnight or whatever, you know, that you do as teenagers. And everyone always wanted to come over to our house because my mother would just lay out the table. And by the time we came in, there were sandwiches and cakes and this and this. And so from the, I think food has always been the center of our lives, even outside of being a cook. And even now I've got my phone here in front of me and I am in touch with using signal or whatever i'm using for um to my family in the uk and every other picture is a picture of food what we're eating even now that's how we describe everything if i say to my older brother oh you remember when we went here and he'll go no and i go yeah yeah we ate this and immediately goes oh yeah i know exactly so food has always been right at the very heart of my life and i think that just came from my parents now, you know, I come from a big Italian family, so everything is food. You know, yep. Every holiday yep. is food. And I think a lot of uh, times now in, in the world, not just in America or the UK, is we don't really break bread like we used to. You know, a, a lot of kids, because parents are working a lot of jobs, they're eating dinner at the kitchen table alone. And I think... Well, I, I, think, yeah. get... I think it's... Uh... Re that's a really important part of what I do. Um, I have a mantra. It's what I write on my books. It's what I've written everywhere. It says, go everywhere, eat everything. And what I should add to that really is meet everyone. And so breaking bread is, is to me kind of one of the most important things in the world. And what I've found, and, you know, I'm very honest about kind of my politics. I come, came from a very kind of liberal background in the UK and, all of those things. And yet I can sit down with people of very different religions, very different politics, very different. And I've done it, particularly here in the United States. And it's it's a way of having a civil conversation because you can't say to someone, I hate you, but could you pass the potatoes? And as I, I always write about it, I said, you know, I can sit down with anyone now, anyone, and I have done all over the world, and you, it's very hard to have an argument with a mouthful of ribs. <laughs> and that, very true. that, to me, is what I try and do. I try and sit in uh, circumstances, conversations with people who are very different. And I've done this in the Middle East. 
I've done it in Asia, or I've done it in Africa, or I've done it with people who are very different from me, come from very different backgrounds, very different levels of income, very different, all kinds of things. And yet once you share a meal with them, you realize that we're pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. I always think about this, you know, if I'm in India or if I'm in uh, Africa, say I was in, uh, not, uh, Mal not Malawi, Mozambique, and you sit, parents still worry about their kids. You know, they still want to feed their kids. They still want their kids to be educated. Boys and girls still wonder if boys and girls will like them. You know, all those things that are kind of fundamental are fundamental everywhere. And what happens, I think, nowadays, particularly with news and all kinds of other things that have more interest in making us frightened of each other, once you sit down with people and you realize that they're much the same and the hospitality is the same, it's it's really incredible. And it, it gives me inspiration. You know, I've had that throughout the United States with people who don't need to be kind to me. You know, really, there's not in you know, there's no interest in them being kind. They're just being kind. Yeah. And when you have that, I think it makes your view of the world, hopefully anyway, better. And I think if we could do that more, you know, in circumstances where there are lots of, you know, controversies right now, both here in America and abroad, I suspect things would be a little easier. And I think food can help in that. You know, and I love that. Now, I. I love um, anything England since I was a child because the lady that raised me that would babysat me, she was from England and she was, okay. a, and she was a nurse from England. So anytime I, I think of England, I always have that warm feeling. And then also when I was w working with Caesars, um, I got to work with Lennox Lewis for, oh. for four or five years and actually got to break bread with him and his mother cooked his meals. So it was, I have nothing but great and warm things to say about, you know, um, England and, and the English people. And I think, like you said, you know, once me and Lennox broke bread together, it kind of built a relationship that it'll, it'll never end. You know what I mean? And so I think you're really, what you're talking about is, is really important today. Well, I'm 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 feeling a little jealous now because I'm a big boxing fan, a big boxing fan, and I follow it all the time. And Lennox was one of my heroes in the '90s. Um, I think he's very underrated. He's very smart. Whenever I hear him being, you know, talking, I always remember reading about him, kind of like playing chess with people because that was his big passion. And yeah. uh, and his, you know, his mother was cooking that fantastic Caribbean food. Yes, that um, you know that was full of nutrients and delicious and. I always remember watching, and you probably saw it firsthand then, this thing where he was talking, doing an interview, and he was heavyweight champion of the world, and he'd beaten everybody, and and he's saying something, and his mum starts correcting him about something, and he's so deferential to his mother, even though he's six foot whatever he was, and 200 watt pounds, and the yeah. moment his mother, who looked tiny, started talking, he was immediately very deferential and very quiet, and going, yeah, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and yeah. I always remember that. And one of the most humble, uh, intelligent people that I've ever met. I got I got to just throw some, brag about myself. I did beat him oh, on, no, the, on, on the billiards table, though. So <laughs> I did beat him. I did beat him on the pool table once or twice. Oh well, that's that's good to know. But you know, uh, so talk to us. You know, how did you get into writing? 
um, because I just wrote my book. It just came out. It just hit number one twice on oh, in, 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 in substance abuse. Um, so talk to us about how you got into writing. And I grew up in, a, in an abused household. So books was my solace. That's how I, I cope. And I'm still an avid reader today. And I've, I've read all your books. I have all your books and are actually sitting on a shelf and it's bowing like this. So you're the you're you're about, the one who's got them. Yeah, somebody you're had the one who's them. got them. <laughs> so um, tell me about your writing and and if you were into books as a kid and a teenager. No, well, yeah, well, like you, not I didn't come from. I came from very you know happy kind of functional household and very you know. So I didn't have any of that interesting household because my father was much more kind of liberal and my mother was very conservative so we actually kind of you know, used to have arguments in the nicest way around the kind of dinner table um so but from that point of view i what i did suffer a little bit at school and it you know uh it was bullying because i was the kind of indian kid or one of the indian kids at school and yeah you know, so i found books as my solace there because i could delve into uh you know Lord of the Rings and be in a completely different world or, you know, whoever, whatever I was reading, history particularly, which is why I'm so passionate about history now. And I always started to write. I, oh, excuse me. Um, it's time to have I your shot started, of rum. <laughs> I know. That's my, my <laughs> daily rum, even though it's only 8.15. Um, no. Um, I was I, Basically what was happening was um, I was always writing. I got asked to write things for school college paper, you know, college things. And then what happened in terms of professional writing was about oh, 15 plus years ago now more, I started writing on a lot of food websites and food just for fun. Uh, you know, at this time I was running a book publishing company or helping to run a book publishing company. I was traveling around the world. I, you know, but I love food was always my obsession. And with my brother, we set up, it's still all online, uh, Dos Hermanos. It was a, a review website of restaurants. And we traveled around the world. We were very different from a lot of the other bloggers at the time because we were older. You know, a lot of the bloggers tended to be young kids. Well, with the best one in the world, I didn't need to read about them reading about restaurants, writing about restaurants because I came from a different kind of – I've been doing it for so long. Anyway, but our our uh, website, Dos Hermanos, became very popular. And it, it became you – know, when people were talking about the London food critics, they put us in with that link and we got listed as – two of the most powerful people in London, in the top 100 in London or when, uh, back in the, uh, a few years ago. And so the writing started getting noticed. And then because of that, I got asked to write for The Guardian, which is one of the biggest papers. And I started writing some food stuff for them. And then I ended up writing for a number of other papers. And then what happened was, in terms of it being what, what I do now, is quite frankly, and, and I know we were talking about this before, I, I suffer a great deal with uh, depression. It's something I fight every day, literally. You know, you wake up going, is today going to be a good day, a bad day? You know, as a lot of people do, and I reach out to all of those. Um, and what happened was a, about 15 or so years ago, my mother had uh, died of leukemia, uh, you know, which was you know, just a pernicious, disgusting disease. My um, and, and the business that I was helping to run began to fail, and a lot of it was stuff that I'd done wrong which again is when you think you're going to rule the world at you know, your late 30s or something, is, is a humbling experience. And quite frankly, I was standing on the balcony of my apartment in London getting ready to jump. And I was very lucky 
that the people in the apartment below opened their windows and they were a Lebanese family. I never got to meet them because they left. They were there just on a short term. But all their food came up and I started smelling this food. And I always said I was more um, hungry than suicidal. So before I jumped, I went to cook a meal. And while I was eating that meal, I found a notebook. Uh, and in it, I'd been on one of these kind of Tony Robbins courses. Yeah. And um, I hadn't really learned a lot on it, but at the, I did set a goal list. And I on this goal list, it said things like uh, run a marathon, uh, have a suit made and kind of Savile Row and all of that stuff that we love to do. Um, I, I, what else did I do? I had my teeth straightened. I always joke that I had very British teeth. They look like an abandoned cemetery, I always tell people. Um, and now they're very kind of American style and very nice. Anyway, but at the bottom were those words, go everywhere, eat everything that I mentioned earlier. And so I quit. I quit my job uh, with the woman I chatted to. And I just said, look, I, I'm not doing any good for you. I need to be somewhere else. You need to have someone else in here. And I went off around the world and that ended up becoming my first book. And um, to be honest, it happened because I just I wasn't going to write a book. I was just going to travel around the world you know, and and come back and then try and get another job in publishing. And then uh, I wrote to Tony Bourdain, who I happened to know through food writing, and I, I didn't know him well. I always say we were friendly, not friends, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, oh, you should write a book. And he sent me a quote that's on the front of my books now. And he said, put it on your book proposal, and then people will read your book proposal because my name's on it. He understood the value of his name. Now that, and he just said, and I, I, I won't now, use his full words, but he said, make sure your proposal is any, he put in an expletive and said, make sure it's any good. Otherwise, I'll look bad. Now, that must, uh, and that, that must have really hurt you when you found out about that. Well, I, I remember waking up uh, about three o'clock in the morning and <laughs> it was, it still feels kind of unreal. Uh, and I, as I said, I wasn't. Yeah, you know, he wouldn't be calling me if he was in dire debt. But if we, when we met and we had, you know, nights getting drunk at London pubs and stuff, we had a great time. Uh, so from that point of view, but I think the world misses him. I think we miss people of that, uh, that in that intellect, but also that empathy, that, that person who can understand. And he again, a guy who could sit with anyone. Uh, yeah. And so anyway, that was that was the beginning of that book. Uh, the book did well. Some at the Food Network read that book. And that's how I got invited on Iron Chef um, and ended up doing this kind of crazy thing that I love doing now, which, you know, I thank God every day that, um, you know, for all of the challenges that we all have, that I'm I'm in this situation where, you know, we've just announced a new season of Tournament of Champions 3. And uh, I... I can go that I'm I'm sitting there and looking, you know, 10 feet across the thing at Guy Fieri or Alton Brown or Bobby Flay or just these extraordinary experiences. So I'm very blessed, very blessed. But I'm aware uh, that what I do is I'm my job's to entertain and to be fun and to chat to people like you who are kind enough to ask me to come along. Now, you know. Even you know, I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll never get as as big and popular as you are. But sometimes, like when I'm I'm around, you know, the t the high level podcast hosts like the John Lee Dumases of the world and Tony Watley's, I get that a little bit of that imposter syndrome where I'm like, maybe I don't belong here. 
So have you ever <laughs> have, have you ever just sat there and just looked across at everybody and were like, damn, how did I get here? Every day. Every day. Uh, and, and I'm not just saying that to kind of sound modest and all this. Every day I will sit there and I go, uh, and you have to use it to your benefit. So every day I will sit there. Like uh, right now, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm writing my food history podcast, which is called uh, Eat My Globe. Sorry, I'll get my little plug in. But uh, which it. is, uh, I've been. And it's I've about rum, right? This. It's, this, this, the episode you're writing now is about rum? That's why, yeah, that's uh, the. So I, um, and I've been very good because I haven't had any rum while I'm writing it. Um, <laughs> I should have some tonight. But uh, so we've been going for about, this is our eighth season. Um, I write it all, uh, the episodes that are, so we could have things, the history of coffee, the history of tea, the history of whiskey, uh, the last meal served on the Titanic. I just did one on the history of military rations going all the way back to Alexander the Great. So we've done, we just did one on the history of food fraud. And then I also get to interview some really amazing people. So Ken Burns made the great Civil War documentary. We actually flew to meet him in his he owns a restaurant, of all things. So we met him in a restaurant. Um, and this season, a little uh, sneak preview for you, we're going to be, next week, I'm going to be interviewing Jacques Pepin. I mean, so this for me is just, I mean, it's, I mean I'm going to be sitting interviewing Jacques Pepin. I mean, I'm incredibly blessed. Yeah, one of the great food educators of all of our lifetimes. Um, and so when I'm writing something like that with my podcasts, and I think about all these incredible people, historians out there. Um, I go, well, you know, I'm not sure I deserve to be in the same room, let alone asking them questions. I mean, who am I to ask Jacques Pepin questions? Um, but people are always, you know, kind enough to do it. So um, I think the way you can use that, that imposter syndrome hits us all. Uh, and we always think everyone else is smarter and cleverer and doing better than us, particularly if you look at social media. Um, I go, this is my impetus to be as good as I can as all the time. So that anything that I put out there, not that I'm good all the time, because we, ne we never are, but as good as I can be all the time and put everything that I put out there, I can at least look back on and go, I'm proud of that. And so with the podcast, or with the shows, or with, I do a lot of cooking demos. I do a lot of demos where I talk about my life, and I talk about cooking and history and all kinds of things. I've got a lot coming up the next couple of weeks. And I go, as long as I can leave there, and everyone goes, that was great. That was something we haven't seen before. It was fun. That's all I can do. Now, are there people who can do better cooking demos than me? Absolutely, there are. You Because know, there, there just always is someone who's better than you. It's just life. Uh, and even I know some of the big, big stars will have that feeling too. I, ca I can't think of anyone who sits there and, and doesn't want to learn. And in fact, the really great people are those who are constantly intellectually curious. If we're doing a show and I, we're, I'm chatting about something you're doing, you know, guy might go, what is that? What, what do you, what's, uh, what's this? What's this? And you'll notice on Tournament of Champions, if you watch it, he'll come over and ask questions. Uh, and some of them he's asking on behalf of the audience, but some of them he goes, no, I don't know this. Tell me what you know, because he's completely intellectually curious. And that's the most, I think, kind of attractive thing about any human being. They're constantly trying to learn. 
Now, I think that I can actually win one of those cooking shows on the Food <laughs> Network. Uh, I think I could win Worst Cook, no problem. <laughs> uh, I think my wife can win uh, any one of those other shows. But I got to tell you a story, and I think you would find this funny. Um, I'm, I just got out of the military after 23 years, and I, I wanted to warm up my hard-boiled eggs. So I put them in the microwave for like a minute. Oh. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they started popping. So yep. I hit the ground thinking I'm being shot at until I realized that I just blew up two eggs in the microwave. That's how bad of a cook I am. So um, I, I would definitely win worse cook, I think. Uh, well, <laughs> well, particularly, you know, having come from your, your background and then having to experience all that popping uh, <laughs> going in there. It's uh, I've been, I, I haven't done it uh, for a couple, just because I've been traveling and we've had pandemic and, but my wife and I have done some dinners where we've we've we did some close to here uh, with some people who were about to deploy, and we went to their they and to be honest, they just got in touch, and it was close enough, and we went down and uh, cooked for them, and it was like I cooked Indian food for however many people in their home uh, while we were there, and that was really fun. But you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, I what I remember about going into this home, they were a young couple, very nice couple, and. Uh, it, it was one of those where they, I think they were only fairly recently married and they'd moved into a home and they had almost no, nothing in the house and they were having to go. I think you have areas where people who are leaving or have moved, leave all their equipment and all mm. their, and so we were going and getting like pots and pans to cook this meal. It was actually like, almost a bit like kind of chopped or cutthroat kitchen trying to cook this meal for them. It was really fun, really fun. Now, one thing, you know, because I, I was in the health and fitness industry for over 30 years. Um, it's, it amazed me when I looked at the facts that a lot of people from, you know, like India and that part of the world, they don't have a lot of, they have a high diabetes rate when they come here, but they don't have a very high cancer rate. And I think personally, because I, I love turmeric, I love, uh, I, I take it every day. I think that's one of the greatest antioxidants that a person can take. And I think for me, I think that's one of the reasons that why the cancer rates are so low in India, you know? I think it, I think, I, I mean, I don't know about, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. Mm. I'm always wary when, you know, of suggesting it when people ask yeah. me about diets and things. Um, um, but I think I, I used turmeric yesterday. I made, if you go on my Instagram, you'll see a, a Carolyn prawn curry. And I use fenugreek and I use, I mean, all those spices and basically all of those spices put together, you know, turmeric. Turmeric is an amazing, uh, anti, uh, what do you call it, coagulant. So if you have, if you cut yourself, you can actually put a little bit of fresh turmeric, the from like the ginger yeah. on there, stop you bleeding. And, and in fact, I believe they use turmeric in tablets in India for hemophiliacs and things. Uh, yeah, inflammation so, so, helps a lot with yeah, inflammation. Oh, yeah. When I had, he said, giving it my background, doing what I do, but I had gout uh, and more, uh, to be honest, I inherited from my dad. But turmeric tablets were were helpful then. Um, and so I, I love uh, Indian food. I think, um, you know, I, I mean, I to me, that's my passion anyway, because my father's side. I've always been in love with Indian food and I cook it as often as I can. And I'm fortunate that my wife loves Indian food. I also, I have to say, just to give a shout out to her side of things, I love Filipino food. 
I love Filipino food. And she's Filipino-American and her family. So when we go over there, I'm at some of my happiest because I love, love, love Filipino food. And we're very, where her uh, parents are now is very close to where Clark was or well, Clark still is, but it's not, uh, you know, it's now not uh, the base. And um, and so I just I just love being over there. So I'm, I'm lucky that two of my favorite cuisines I'm kind of in in touch with all the time. And I love, you know, um, anytime I can get paella, homemade paella, I'm in my I'm in my glory. I'm in heaven. We just had it the other night. I just love paella, and I, like I said, my mom love- was a nurse, so she her a lot of her Filipino nurses would bring in her would bring in food, and she would bring it home. And I fell in love <laughs> with Filipino cuisine. Uh, no, well, it I mean, it is funnily enough the uh, episode I wrote before uh, this one was on the history of rice. So from China to you know Persia to Sicily, and that was all Persians coming in and bringing paella from North Africa. Pilaf became paella, and all of that. So it's fascinating history. So now, like I said, a lot of people, you know, getting out of the military, you know, 40, 45 years old. You, you know, you started really the whole food thing officially after forty. So what are you, what is your advice for people that, you know, because sometimes when you hear, oh, I'm 40 or I'm 50, you know, you think life, people act like life is over at 40 or 50. So what are you, what are I hope not because I'm in my mid, mid, almost late fifties now. (laughs) I'm hoping it's got time to go. I mean, the, the, the reality is in terms of going into, you know, corporations and things, whatever they may say, there is ageism in there. There just is. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I think in those cases, um, you, you may find people particularly coming out of the military and people want to support everyone who comes out of the military as they should as long and, and they're good, which they are because people have been so well trained. Um, you will absolutely find people. But for me, what I realized was when I turned 40, and I suddenly realized I wasn't going to run the biggest publishing company in the world and all those things that you think you're going to do when you're younger, uh, when the world is kind of boundless and you think everyone everything's going to happen, is I realized the only way I was going to do it was by being my own boss as much as possible. Um, you know, so if I, I frankly get to say no to people rather than people saying no to me, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm not always, it's, it's not always that kind of dream of, you know, um, go and do what you love because life isn't that fair. I'm very, very blessed that I do get to do the job I, I adore, but, but, uh, I think being your kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but being your own boss is, is kind of, I think, uh, acting you know, kind of a, what I'm trying to put this into words. But I think acting on your own events is is really important, um, and that's what I try and do all the time. I try and kind of go in the direction that I want to go in every time. So if I get an um, if I want to write podcasts today, I'll write podcasts. If tomorrow I want to go and spend time in the kitchen and create recipes, I'll go and create recipes. And so I can leave, uh, lead in my own direction. And I think that's if you can do that, um, you can do that. Now, I'm also very lucky, very lucky, um, 
I'm not saying that you, uh, but I'm, I don't have kids. So of course I don't have those responsibilities. Uh, but it, I do mean that I can go out now. If I go out today and go, well, actually, you know, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to sit in the library. Then I can do that. I think what you have to do when you come out uh, is to look at all the opportunities. And if there are corporations and if there is something you do um, that you will find in a corporation, go and do it. But that's not always the case. And and the thing we have to realize is, you know, and people in the military know this more than anyone, life isn't fair. It isn't. So the only way you can make it fair is by really doing you being in charge of it uh, and having a dream as well. So I'll, I'll give another example. I have this very, very good friend, um, and I'll, I'll mention him because if anyone's in that area, they should go. So he was called Jamie McDonald. He was in the military. Very smart guy. Very smart. Um, he came out of the military and was looking for what to do. And his thing that he, he came originally from Kansas City. And he was at this point, he still is, lives in Hartford, Connecticut. And he said, I want to open a really good like barbecue restaurant. We don't have one in Hartford, Connecticut. I want to open it. And he says, well, how do I get to <coughs> make the money? And the reason that I found him was he decided he found out that he was one of these um, what competitive eating champions. It's really interesting. So I was writing that Fed White and Blue I mentioned earlier. And he said, um, come, why don't you come with me to one of these events? You'll, you'll never have seen anything like it. So I went to this crazy event called Wing Bowl in Philadelphia. And it, they do it in the – I don't know American sports names. I'm all about British football. But the the 76ers Stadium. Yep. I hope I got the right name. Otherwise, yep. the people in Philadelphia will kill me. Anyway, but we went there, and it was 40,000 people. And they do this thing called Wing Bowl on Super Bowl weekend. And it's where people go in, and it is the craziest thing. And they bring in people from all over the world, and they eat wings. And it's every it's it's completely crazy. And this thing goes over the weekend. And he went there, and he won it, won a huge amount of money, and he put that into starting his barbecue restaurant. And so that was his dream. And then he found ways of making that dream work. And he now has this place called Bear's Smokehouse. I think they've got five of them now. So what I think is, particularly with people now, where where are you located at? What I'm state? in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so, which is why I'm not having a a, a rum right now because it's eight thirty six in the morning. <laughs> Whatever people say about me. Um, but what I think in terms of people coming out of the military, men and women, incredibly talented, have learned processes, discipline, all of those things, the thing they're going to be very good at is looking at every project as a plan and going, well, if I want to be a plumber, I want to be a technician, I want to be whatever it is, I'm just throwing out words. I want to be a writer. I want to be what they'll know is everything like that takes work. They're not going to sit there going, I'll sit here till someone comes to me and goes, do you want to write? What they're going to do is they're smart enough to go, I'm going to go and write. And that to me, I think, is, you know, none of this is is kind of anything new to any of them. Uh, but, uh, but I think if you have those plans, you're going to be able to go off, particularly coming out of the military where you've had that discipline and you've had that understanding of process, 
do something really well. Um, but what I said earlier, life isn't going to be fair. And unfortunately, sometimes people can get very depressed when they go and try and get corporations. Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know um, I tell people, hey, if you really have a passion for something, start a podcast. Um, and then they're like, yeah, but there's two million podcasts out there. You know, but I tell them, but only 50% of them are active. So, yeah. <laughs> and if you do over 13 episodes, you're in the top 10% automatically. So Absolutely. I have, I think like, I think we're going on 400 now. Wow. What was, if you can go back to your first episode to now, what have you learned and what would you change? That's a great question. Um, the first thing, and it's what I do now, is, and again, mine's slightly different, I think, because I'm not, it's a, a you know, conversation kind of thing. I will have interviews, uh, but even then I'll send questions to everyone because they're very specific and it's about history. So it's very different from yeah. you know what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I, I could do what you're doing now because you're able to keep these things going. And mine, I need my questions. <laughs> um, the first thing that I think will always hold is uh, with me anyway, I do it because I do it. So I never do it assuming anybody's going to listen. We actually now have a very, very, very good listenership uh <clears throat> people can support us on a uh, patreon and all of that and we get great listeners on that but i do it because i want to do the research so the reason i'm doing rum is i wanted to learn about it and then i'll put it out there going well if anyone else wants to listen here it is so i'm very keen on that and i think that's more important if i don't want to listen to it why the heck am i going to talk to anybody else about it so you have to do something that you're you're kind of at least passionate and at least willing to put the, the work in. Yeah. And the second thing is, and we mentioned this before, don't put anything out that isn't as good as you can possibly make it ever. Just don't. Just don't. I've got ones where I've written them and I go, Ugh. you know, it's an hour. It was a two weeks of research and an hour, you know, weeks of a week of writing. And I read it and I go, this is rubbish. And I just, it's done. So be af don't be afraid to put stuff to the side. And I think the other thing is, you know, make sure that <laughs> whatever your, your podcast is going to be about, make sure that you have good resources to do it. So I decided if I was going to do a food history podcast, you know, who's going to come to me as an Iron Chef judge and go, eh. so what I did is I, I went to the Department of History at UCLA and I said, what if I did this with you? Would you read all of the po podcasts? Would you check that they make sense from a historical point of view? Would you make sure I'm not using words now that I thought were fine 30 years ago and they're not now? Because, you know, words change all the time. Mm -hmm. And what that's done is it's made my podcast much, much more credible. Uh, and so whatever you do, excuse me, whatever you do, I think try and make it as credible as possible. Now, not everyone's necessarily going to have to do what I did because they're not doing a history podcast. But I think if you go and talk, say you're talking about your your life in the military, at least have people in there who've got a lot of experience and find the right people. And the other thing is always be prepared to ask people 
if they'll come on. Because I find that I go and I go, really, you know, Jacques Pepin or Ken Burns, I mean, they're amazing people. Why would, you know, why would they want to come in and talk to me about food history? And then all I did was email them and they said, sure. You go, oh, okay then. And yeah. and so I I find that, and it's one of the reasons that I, whenever anyone asks me, as long as it's not something crazy, I go, I'd love to talk to you because so many people have been so kind to me to do this that I think it's kind of pay it forward. So if you do begin to do well, pay it forward. Yeah, I, I love that. And I also believe that for me, you know, like I knew we were going to talk. I think we booked it like six weeks out. So I did every all the research I could on you. Um, I watched all your videos, your books. I've done everything I could. But, you know, I had a, a gentleman. His name was Mr. Sim, Steve Sims. And I think he's from part of that, that part of the world, Steve D. Sims. And I had him on the show. And my thing was, whenever you come on the show, I want to ask you people that ask you questions that most people don't ask. Um, you know, because everybody will probably wants to talk about this, uh, you know, this cook, this chef. And you're like, it's not what I want to talk about, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, like when I talk to Mr. Steve Sims and he's like, yeah, I guess you <laughs> want to talk about my relationship with Elton John. I'm like, not really. And he goes, <laughs> I said, Cause I, I want to know what it was like growing up in England, 16 years old, being a bricklayer and being hungry. That's what I want to talk about. So he's like, nobody ever asked me that question. So I think that, I think if you're going to have a show, you might want to do, you know, do some research, but also just not ask the obvious questions where you, the person just like, Oh my God, I'm so bored. You know? Well, I think we, we, you know, of course, yeah, we get asked questions and I'm always trying to be polite. You've asked, you know, really thoughtful questions, which as well, things that make me, you know, because there are, you know, we all have word, stories that we tell and when we go on shows and we all have, you know, well, of course we do. Uh, and then when you ask questions and I go, I have to th- I actually have to think about that for a moment, which is great. And I don't, you know, get to do that terribly often when I do it because people do. And this is not a criticism of any other podcast, but they want to ask about, you know, the shows that I'm on, because it, quite frankly, they're watched by millions of people and a lot of their audience want to know. Yeah, what it's like to be on Iron Chef because I know when I'm sitting as a judge on Guy's Grocery Games or Iron Chef or Cutthroat Kitchen or any of the or Beat Bobby Flay or any of the things that I do, there are millions of people in the country who would give their left arm to be doing what I was doing right now, doing that. And so you've got to be very grateful that you do it. Mm-hmm. And so the things someone said to me, and I think this is really important when I do demos and I have stories about, you know, my life. And he goes, you may have told it a million times, but for those people in that audience, that's the only time they'll hear it. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I think, so even though I might go, yeah, I'm, I might get bored with it. Actually, I should, I, even if I am bored with it, my job is to try and make that as exciting as possible to anyone listening. I think. I love that. Um, now, like I said, I, want, I don't want to go over 60 minutes because I know you have so much important things to do. But, well, that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm having fun. But now, you know, like in the military, we know military food, hospital food, jail <laughs> food, it's all crap. And um, so a lot of us, when we get out, you know, a lot of us like to barbecue, 
a lot of us, because, you know, in the military, you know, even if we were in a war zone, just sitting, eating on the hood of a Humvee dinner together kind of brought us closer together. And I think when we get out, we kind of do that. We kind of barbecue, you know, make a lot of steaks and stuff like that. So what are a couple tips that you can give the, the, the average, you know, steak maker or the average barbecue person that, that might help them? on the next week's barbecue for Super Bowl? Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, well, first of all, I hope everyone has a great time watching Super Bowl. I'm, I, we all need to get out there and enjoy. And I'm, I'm not going to talk anything about the game because uh, much as I am an American now, I say I, I watch cricket and uh, at uh, our football, yeah. uh, I'm afraid. So I, I don't even know who kind of people are. Um, so I feel uh, sorry to anyone for that, having to listen to me, but I can help with the cooking. Uh, the key thing I think when you're cooking anything uh, is, is French words, mise en place. So mise en place means everything in its place. So if you're going to cook, uh, whatever it is, whether it's your, you're going to make a hamburger, whether it's you're going to do your steaks, whether you're going to do get everything ready beforehand. And this is what you'll see in restaurants. You'll often have in big restaurants, you'll actually have people who come in and they're the prep cooks. So they're the ones who come in and chop up the onions and the garlic and the herbs and the everything else and lay them out at each of the stations. And then when the chefs come in, everything's done for them. So they all their job is then all their job, but it's it, their job then is not to prep everything. It's all prepped. So if you're doing your hamburger, and you're going to say you have onions and herbs or whatever you have in your hamburger, decide, or you're going to have cheese in the middle. Lay everything out in little, you know, styrofoam dishes or whatever you've got. And so get everything first. And what you find is that takes a, a while, of course, because it depends what you're preparing. And I've, I'm, I've already got it here. I'm doing it for, for lunch because the one thing I have learned in my life is that um, – if I don't feed my wife properly at the right time, then the rest of my life is not going to be worth living. And every uh, man who's around knows this. So that's what the, so, but what I've done already, um, I could show you the picture, but it's all laid out already. I've got my onions there. I've got, so it's all laid out. And then what you find is, although that seems to be taking a lot of time, when you then come to make everything, it's much quicker. And that's why you'll find in restaurants, they can get food out much quicker and you go, well, how do they get that out so quickly? Because all the prep has been done. So that mise en place, go and buy yourself some, you know, plastic containers from whatever store or, and then just do everything. So chop all your onions, chop all your garlic, chop all your herbs, do all of that first, you know, listen to some music. You know, when I'm doing it, I'm listening to Steely Dan or Frank Zappa or whatever my kind of thing is at the moment. So that's one thing. Second thing is make sure, and we say this a lot, make sure you've got a sharp knife. You don't need 100 knives and people go off and click. And trust me, I have many, many knives because people are kind enough to send them to me. But if you have a good chef's knife, a serrated knife and a paring knife, you're going to need everything you need is going to be there. So just get yourself a really good knife. I have certain ones that I particularly like right now. Um, so get yourself a good knife. Keep it sharpened. Even take it to the farmer's market or wherever you can and just get it sharpened once a, once a you know, couple of months and, so, and then just edge it every time you use it. Um, and I think the third thing in terms of steaks, I'll tell you my favorite way of doing a steak, and this sounds a little odd. Get your steak. And for me, I don't do, don't do a fillet on the 
barbecue because it's just going to overcook and it doesn't have any flavor. I'm not a big fan of uh, filet mignon. You might as well eat your, the sole of your shoe. Uh, get, get yourself a ribeye, nice fatty ribeye. Um, and then what I do is I put it on a wire rack over a plate and I the night before, and this sounds odd, but I cover it in salt. Like really cover it. Almost like you would put a fish that you cook in salt like they do in Italy, that wonderful thing, and then leave it overnight. What happens is that salt draws out some of the liquid from the top few milliliters or millimeters of the skin. The next day, and this sounds really strange, but you rinse it off and then dry it really thoroughly. And then what will happen is you'll get this very dry skin. Then you can add a little more salt, pepper, and then you just put it into your pan or onto the grill. And it will give you the most beautiful crust you have ever tasted. Don't overcook it. Ribeye needs to be medium rare. You need enough heat to melt down the fat, but not enough to overcook it. If you're going to overcook a steak, just eat something else, quite frankly. Uh, just, have, just have it medium rare. And then the other thing I said, if you've got a steak, God's done all the work. A little bit of salt and pepper, everything you don't. I'm I don't get with steaks and with like covering them in something that's got forty thousand ingredients in a rub. I don't get it. Again, you might as well not eat a steak. Just put on some shoe leather because all you're going to taste is your rub. If you get a good steak, salt, pepper, a little bit of oil on the grill, like with that salted technique that I suggested earlier, and it will be the perfect steak. To me, anyway, and that's when the best steaks are the best steaks are done that simply. Like I now said, God's done medium, all the work. For I love medium rare. That's my favorite. Medium rare to rare, my favorite. So how 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 long on each side should you cook it? Well, the key is two things. One is uh, well, actually three things. One, bring it out of your refrigerator at least twenty minutes beforehand. So it comes up to room temperature. If you have it when it's cold and you put it on, it's just going to tighten up and your steak is going to be tough. So let it come up to temperature before you put them on. Secondly, depending on how, obviously how hot and where you're putting it on your grill, I tend to do mine in my cast iron skillet here um, and screaming hot. And the key is what I tend to do is I'll put it in Depend, probably about two and a half to three minutes for me, like really screaming hot, turn it over, and then I throw in quite a bit of butter and some herbs, some sage, some rosemary, some lots of garlic, and I pan baste it. Um, and even now, just saying it, I kind of feel I need to go make a steak just to go and eat it. And again, you get that lovely crunch. Then the key is bring that steak out. Put it on a tray and very loosely cover it in foil. Now, not heavy because what you don't want it is for to steam inside and you're going to lose all your crust. But if you very loosely put foil on it, you just let it come back to temperature. So what happens is when you cook a steak or any meat, in fact, any, any protein, all the juices inside basically decide they're going to have a party. And they're all like, oh, you know, here we are and we're on the grill and we're like they're having a wild old time. Now, if you bring that out and cut into that steak straight away, all the hemoglobin, everything is all just going to flood out. 
it's not really blood when you see it on the plate if you leave it it's it's called a hemoglobin but then, but it's anyway but if you just leave it all the steak kind of goes all the juices go oh well we can quiet down now and they all go back into the fibers and then make sure you cut it across the grain which makes obviously for consumption a lot easier so how and long you, do you, you let it set how long do you let your meat sit i i i always like to think that you let uh, a steak sit for as long as you cook it that's my kind of way. So say you're going to do it for about six minutes, just rest it. And it, people are worried it's going to lose heat, and it it just won't. If you just have a light piece of foil over it, it'll keep the heat. Um, but at least if you're going to do it for about six minutes to seven minutes, all told, making sure you get the sides and everything, depending on how you like it. And I think six, seven minutes for you would be about right. But... Once you start cutting that, you'll see that's when you get if you see a steak that's cooked properly, you'll almost see like the pink inside is the whole color the whole way through. When it's been rushed, you'll see it just a little red in the center and then it goes slowly towards gray at the top. And I'm sure you've seen that on steaks where it's like so basically they've rushed it. But when you let it rest, you'll get that beautiful pink color the whole way through. And it's just because everything has settled down and everything is juicy and delicious and you know, all of that flavor that's in really good steak. And you know, here's the thing as well. Buy good steak as, as good as you can, but often you don't need at home to be cooking prime. I'll be honest with you. I People go, oh, it's prime and you're spending a fortune and that's you know great if you want to. But I will tell you, and I'm not, I, I don't get any money out of them. I should do. If you go to Costco and get their choice steaks, their choice, they're as good as any prime in a lot of places. And that's what I have in the kitchen. That's what I have in my freezer. Wow. I'll go and buy 10 or 15 ribeyes. I'll separate them into uh, uh, one or two packs, depending on, you know, if it's just me and my wife and we're doing it with other things, I'll just cook one ribeye and we'll just share it. But I will guarantee you, do a choice ribeye with that technique that I mentioned. Don't overpower it. Just do it in your cast iron skillet, some butter, some herbs, some garlic, and then let it rest. I guarantee you'll think you're at your, your favorite steakhouse. And I love going to steakhouses. I, I think that's one of the great American kind of tradition, cuisine traditions that I love about this country. I love going in and having my martini and wood panels and, you know, all of the having a wedge salad and all of those things. I love it. But I guarantee you try the good cast iron skillet as well. Now, one thing, you know, I noticed because, like, we watch a lot of Food Network in my house. Um, and I'm not going to mention the show because I, I don't do any drama. But usually <laughs> when a person gets uh, – they come out with the steak where they got to cook steaks, there's usually out of six people, five of them do a horrible job. And at least somebody's getting eliminated because they think it's so easy to make a steak. But to do it right is kind of – takes a lot of skill work, correct? It, it's what uh, a chef said to me once, and they also said it about an omelet, which I'm I can do, but I'm not great. Um, they're easy to do and hard to do well. And uh, so steaks in a you know, and and it, a lot of it's just practice, you know, like anything, you just practice. Um, but uh, I I mean, to me, a ribeye now, I'm I'm pretty certain, you know, just because I've cooked plenty of them. Um, but yeah, but there are things that, you know, I still struggle with. There are some things that I'm not great at, 
and and that's just so what i do is i practice like okay, like now, again it's like it, like anything in like you were talking about the military you what you do you go practice <laughs> yeah. so last two questions so you can go and enjoy yeah. the rest of your day uh, <laughs> how do we find you how do we get in touch with you how can we support your mission and talk to us what's oh. coming up with with season three and you know give us a little bit of what you got what you got going on well so if you want to find me it's i'm on it's at simon majumda uh and there's only me i think in the world with that name um and here's the thing it is me i don't have any people so if you come to me on twitter or facebook or instagram or you know um it's me so if you ask me a question i will answer you um and the only thing I said, I actually said to someone recently, someone put something mean on there for whatever reason, because they were bored at home or whatever, you know, whatever people troll. Um, and I deleted it. And they said, yeah, my freedom of rights. And I go, no, no, my Facebook, Instagram, they're benevolent dictatorships. You have no freedoms here. Go away. And that's what I, which I always love doing, because particularly if they're kind of worried about it. And I just go, no, it's my, um, the only thing I'd say is you'd be nice to everyone on there. Yeah. So that's, so anywhere on there, at Simon Majumda, you'll, you'll find me. Uh, the podcast is Eat My Globe. Uh, and as I said, there's about, eight, or uh, this season we'll have about 80 episodes, which is <laughs> about the size of a, well, it's about the size of two books, if you compared it all. Um, and then in terms of, obviously, please go and support Tournament of Champions. It's, yeah. I can't tell you how much I love that show. And I don't just say that because it's a sh my next show coming up. It's such an incredible show. Now, if somebody doesn't know anything about it, tell us a little bit about what, what it's about, who it involves, you know, anything like that. Yeah, so basically, uh, this was all Guy's idea, uh, almost to do it in a way that you do March Madness. So you have East and West. Uh, and now with this uh, kind of larger crowd, we've got some kind of misplaced, you know, top chefs. So, uh, <clears throat> and it's uh, kind of a, what do you call it? A, a, a face-off, you know, oh, volume of my words at the moment um basically a face-off between chefs okay. east against west or east against east until they bring to a kind of a you know final of each and then they battle against each other and if you go and watch some of the older battles what i do is i am uh, kind of making notes so what happens is one of the things that people say about blind uh, about judging is they wish it could sometimes be blind because you know we know the chefs or we know some of them we go oh well you're this and i it that doesn't really happen people like to think that we sit there life is trust me life when we do these shows is too busy i can't be going oh well this is antonia and i like her and this is it's just like give me the food and i'll tell you what i think because we don't have time but so on tournament of champions what will happen is we'll have our people cooking and I will make all the notes and I will be reading it and going, well, uh, they're doing this. And Guy comes up and goes, what are they doing? And I go, oh, they're doing this. They're doing this. Then the judges, sorry, then the chefs disappear 
and the judges come out and the judges do not know who the chefs are at any point. So the only reason they know the dish is I will read to them. I've made a note and I've talked to the judge, uh, the chefs about what they want the show to be. And I go, what do you want it? What's the dish? What's this? And I will then describe it to the judges. And they will ask me questions. But I can't say it's a man, a woman. I can't say where they're from. I can't say anything anything about that at all. Now, do the, so judges, why, do the judges swap in and out? Do you get all different judges in there? It, this is, it is this, and they just announced it. This has had some of the most incredible judges. Incredible. Like some of the greatest chefs, and we've got Giada there, and I mean, this is what's happened before. Rocco de Spirito, when we've had Jonathan Waxman and Dominique Cre like world-class chefs, world-class. And again, that's what Guy wanted. He said, I, if you're going to have the best chefs in the country coming together, we need the best judges. And that's So my job is to really be the conduit between the chefs and the judges. Okay. And then any questions they ask me, the, the idea is that me and Justin Warner, my pal, uh, he's on the other kitchen and we kind of have our own little battles about which of our judges are winning and uh, our chefs are winning and stuff just for fun. But what we do is we go, we, we, our knowledge is, and hopefully uh, we prove it, but we know food. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've traveled all over the world. So if someone is doing a dish, I know what that ingredient is. So I can say, so if the judges come to me and go, what was so-and-so? And I go, it's this, and th this is what they're doing with it. The chef is doing with it. So it's really fun. Uh, it's, it's. I think in terms of, and I've seen Iron Chef from all of, you know, to me, it's the most exciting show I've ever been on. And that the new, the new, the new season goes live when? The new season will go on the 27th of February. I'll be posting about it and I'll yeah. be on Twitter and, uh, but I'll never, and here's the other thing as well, I'll never do any spoilers because I know how much that, you know, <clears throat> just like here, I'm not saying anything. And I'm being very careful of just course. because, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to even talk about the judges and the chefs and the yeah. uh, that are on there for this one because I want people to be, even though it, some of it probably has been uh, already in some of the news because they've started doing all the alert. Yeah, I keep seeing my Google alerts when I've been mentioned. So I know that they're out there talking about it, but I'm just really careful about it because I want people to come on and be going, oh, I had no idea that was going to happen with this person. So what I might do is, um, like this episode is out live now. I'll probably release this episode that day. So it gets a little pump for that, for that night to get people excited for that show. Uh, well, I hope so. And I hope people really enjoy it. Um, you know, just gr I love seeing really great chefs really great judges and here's the thing as well they're we're a family like you were talking about you know family when we get to do shows and when i get to do cutthroat or whenever the shows we don't get to see each other terribly often and so if i just spend any time hanging out with them i love it because it's it's a great community the chef community and is a great community and particularly with guy there you know excuse me i'm coughing <coughs> Guy during the pandemic raised $31 million for people in the hospitality industry. 31, more than either administration. 
to pay because people just weren't getting any work, of course, because we were all having to stay at home. And, you know, I always say it, Guy doesn't need to do that, but he does it because of who he is. And that's true in uh, with the community anyway. Always I'll be getting emails going, could you come and do this? Can you help with this? And as much as I can, I try, you know, when we're not traveling, try to, you know, uh, feed our, ourselves. But I think it's really, really important. And so the community, the chef's community is really important to me. Now, I just wanted to, you know, for my last question, because um, I asked this to a thousand people and I get a thousand different answers. Um, but this really hits home for our conversation. And I'm going to, it's going to be a two part question. Um, first, you know, I live in New Jersey, New York, New Jersey. Um, COVID really hit hard. Yeah. I think nationwide, I think we've had over 100,000 restaurants close during the pandemic. So there's a lot of parents out there driving Uber, DoorDash, you know, just to put foods on their kids' table. And if I ask them to do something in seven days, they're probably never going to get to it because so, we live a crazy life. But if somebody's listening to us now and I ask them to do something in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do that. So I have two questions to ask. Um, one, if somebody um, is looking, you know, to do do something different after the age of 40 or 50, what can they do in the next 24 hours to maybe start to get a vision or to start to get some clarity in their life? For me, and it is something that I learned uh, when I was, I said, doing things like the Tony Robbins course, I think you have to sit down and go like almost a pros and cons list. What are my goals? What are the things I need to have happen? And that could be looking after your family. It could be paying your rent. It could be all kinds of things. What are the things that I am exceptional at? What am I exceptional at? We all are. I, I, I guarantee you I can sit with someone and know that you're really good at this. You're really good at talking. You're really good at questioning. You're really good at cooking. You're really good fixing a car you're really good whatever it is okay you go and what it is that i can put together as action points towards doing that for a living and so there are things like if i i will go to um to lectures i will go i'm constantly looking to learn so i think you have to just sit down <coughs> and i'm so bad at this too that I sit down and go, well, what, what am I going to do? Let, let's make a list. Okay, so maybe I'm not getting as many demos this time because it's the pandemic. So how am I going to go and earn money? Sit down and make goals and make drawings and look at what you've got to do and go and find uh, opportunities where you can get education to do those. Now, and here's the other thing. People don't realize there's so much free education out there, whether it's on Internet or whether it's from the government or whether it's from and, and you'd know more than this than I would. But the Veterans Association with classes, go and have a look at that. Maybe you, you go, you know, I've always wanted to be a, a bartender, a mixologist. You go, really? Yeah. Go and have a look. There are classes out there. Go and have a look on set. Go and as much as you can with money. Go and practice with your spirits and do all of it. Whatever it is, there's something. And there are classes out there. So don't don't let your indifference be the reason you don't get to do it. So yeah. I think that's that's the really 
and don't sit there and go, oh, well, I wish I'd done that. You know, I, I did do it. And I, I unfortunately, I had to do it because if I hadn't, I'd have killed myself, quite frankly. And I would. I was on the balcony. But I will sit down even today and go through, you know, my notebook that I have here that has always my always have. And I will go, oh, well, what about this? What could I add into that? What about this dish? It could be even just creating a dish. But just go and be active. Be active. Okay, so last question, and you just hit right on it. Um, you know, I am a suicide survivor. Um, and um, you actually, you know, you have your struggles. So if there's somebody out there right now that's listening to us, that's struggling with their mental health. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get some help? Well, I always start this whenever I ask that I'm not a doctor and I'm not a, you know, so I'm not, I will, never, you know, I will never come at it from that. So all I can talk to you about is my point of view and what's helped me and what continues to help me. Because this is, first of all, uh, don't assume that this ever gets, that this ever stops it's more okay for me anyway it's more about a case of how it's controlled yeah um but what i have found is and this is me trying to find areas of joy in your life and 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 this is yeah because a lot of it is chemical a lot of it is if i go and listen to you know schubert or something i love schubert or mozart or something on 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 my machine over there or if i go and listen to you know for example or if i go and watch i don't know a video on tiktok of a dog running around just something that breaks that cycle for me works really really well um and the other thing for me is knowing that there are people out there who are who are medical people you know, there is the, the, and we often find, particularly, you know, as you're older and you think, well, I'm supposed to be sorting all of this out and I'm the, you know, the man or the woman, you know, we're, you know, we're supposed to be in charge now and that's all the kids. We've got, and you go, no, no, we all need people to talk to. And I'm really bad at it sometimes, but I've called the suicide hotline. I have. And, and, you know, people look at me and go, really? But you're doing all of these shows and you're doing this. And I go, no, we all, I, I have. And I'm very kind of, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I needed people who understood what the situation I was in. And you can't do it to your friends because they don't understand. <coughs> so for me, knowing that there are people out there who really are part of and there's kind of situation to help you is really important. And the suicide hotline, I don't have the number in front of me, but yeah. we'll, I'm sure you'll share I'll it. drop that in the link when we get a chance. I'll drop um, But also try and find some areas where it's you, that you go, this is, this is my kind of my safe place, my joy. And I find that really helpful. It's something on YouTube where I'm watching there's a guy on there called Stephen Ray, who's a he's a butcher from England. This is the most bizarre thing, you know. Uh, but he he buys whole venison, or they go out shooting and they rabbits or whatever, and then he'll come back and he cook. And he's written books and he just does this whole thing where he's butchering a venison or a deer, and he does the whole thing in about thirty minutes or whatever. And I go watch some of his videos because he's funny, and I love watching 
you know, butchery and meat cooking because that's my, you know, one of my passions. And I go and watch it. And then by the time I've watched that, I've kind of forgotten everything that was going on in my head. And then I can, I feel like I've been recentered. So find something that recenters you. But more than anything else, talk to, talk to the, the medics, talk to the people because this is a medical condition. This isn't you, you feeling a bit sad or you feeling this is something, you know, to do with your body and the chemicals in your body. And, you know, and I also think, you know, after, you know, what happened with Mr. Bourdain um, and also yeah. what happened with Mr. Robin Williams, it kind of brought light to uh, mental health where I think the stigma, it's it, it's starting to knock down the stigma. So um, I just want I, to. I, I, I agree, you know, and I there have been times in my life where I've felt ashamed, if that's the right word, that I've been on, on shows doing amazing things and traveling and yet i'm going i'm really right like, i i don't know where i am i don't know you know what what i'm thinking i don't know what's going on and so you know i i just hope people realize because one of the things about depression is you often feel like you're completely alone and and i think even just listening to this hopefully people will realize that you know that you're not and again, like I said, no, nothing to do. Always go to medical people first, yeah. but you're not alone. Well, Chef, I just want to say thank you. I mean, who, who would ever thought we'd be talking about food and going all around the whole gambit? Um, and I just <laughs> wanted to say uh, thank you so much. I'm very humbled. I'm very grateful. Um, your team, I guess it's just you and your wife, uh, are amazing. I mean, you guys, I sent an email and I got an email back within like three minutes. So oh, yeah, that, that, you to both that of, sounds to like my of, wife. <laughs> yeah. so I want to give no, her she, a big thank you. She's, she's amazing. She is. We talk about those areas of joy. And I will tell you that my, you know, when I feed my wife and I take a lunch or whatever it is, and just the thank you and the, just her being there or, just the fact that things that are important to me, she are important to her, and likewise, um, and that's been something that's been very, very important to me too. And she is, you know, you know like everyone else, we bicker and have fun and you know all of this. Particularly if I take too much of the food at lunchtime, and it's like we have a look at both plates just to make sure, and all of, all the things we all do. Um, but. She is the absolutely the light of my life. So if you could thank her for me personally, I would truly appreciate it. So guys, I make will. sure you set your DVRs here into the United States. Tournament, Tournament of Champions, February 27th, season three, dropping. You definitely got to listen to it. Pick up his books, listen to his podcast. He will make your day. He will brighten up your day and maybe teach you a few things about cooking. So Steph, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm truly humble and grateful. My very great pleasure. All right, guys. Well, have an amazing week. And remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. I will catch you guys on the flip. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. 